The gospel text for this morning and the text for our, uh, the message this morning is from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through verses 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. I bring grace, peace, mercy to you from God, our Father, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's talk about some money. Everyone's favorite subject when they come to church, right? Did you hear the text this morning? Um, that's it's an uncomfortable text for me, um, and we're going to get into that a little bit, and I think it's an uncomfortable text for maybe a lot of us. Jesus and what we, who is known to be the, the rich young ruler, um, or it's Jesus and the suburbanite. I think that might be the title of this message. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I think has been most enjoyable sort of as we've had this really long series on the Gospel of Mark, it's like week 22 or 3 or something, right, is, uh, as we kind of go through each pericope, each piece, here I go, hitting stuff again, um, uh, as we go through each week and we, we, we come across these different, these different uh, uh, passages and uh, cutouts of this overall narrative, uh, you get to see um, sort of the tapestry how this one book is woven together with all of these different little intricate stories of Jesus and teachings of Jesus um, and, and all kind of um, uh, summing up into this great grand picture, the gospel of Mark, uh, of who the person of Jesus was, uh, is, what he did, um, and what he's doing for us right now too. And so today, kind of one of those little tapestries we come up against, and what we did last week as well, is we come up to, to a teaching. I mean, this is one of the, the main things that Jesus did uh, in his ministry, is he taught 
um, his disciples and he taught the people that would come, those crowds that would gather around him. He'd heal people and he would teach. And whenever he would teach, what would he teach about? His big theme message was the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Um, and, and so when he teaches, what is he teaching then? He, he, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, when we get to Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7, you get to see the, the, intri- the intricacies and the inside workings of that kingdom, what the values and ethics and norms and morals, if you will, are of what it looks like to follow Jesus and be in His kingdom, what it looks like to be a servant of Jesus, what it looks like to be uh, uh, the last who becomes first. And this morning, we see um, Jesus give us a depiction of a value, seeing the values of the kingdom in stark contrast to the values of our world. And so, when we look at this teaching, what do we see Jesus teaching on? For a lot of us, what sticks out? The money stuff, right? The money stuff. And if you're like me, and you read it, and you just take Jesus for what he's saying, feel a little uncomfortable, to be honest. I feel a little challenged. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You lack one thing. You've kept the law? All right, fine, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Not just that, but it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than a rich man to walk into the kingdom of heaven. That, that's amazing, yeah? That's, that's, um, that's pretty darn near impossible, right? There's all sorts of different hi- history of interpretation around what that means, but regardless, it means it's almost impossible, if not impossible, is what Jesus is saying. And yet, I, you know, why does that make me uncomfortable? Why does that make, um, uh, uh, or why does that maybe make you uncomfortable too? Which I think it should. Um, it's because, I don't know, I want to be rich. <laughs> right? Like, if you're honest with yourself. I mean, I know some people, that's fine, you don't. But like, deep down, it'd be like, that'd be nice. Southern California's hard. Or, you know, that's what, it, that's what it's become now. It's not, I don't want to be rich. I just want to make enough to, you know, live in Southern California. Which, by the way, means you're rich. <laughs> and whether or not you see yourself as rich, the fact that you live here in 21st century Santa Clarita, you're rich. You are. I mean, you and I, know, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that to uh, devalue anyone's socioeconomic struggles. Like, we all have that, and, and there's different degrees of what goes on, and in our society, we have real poverty. Like, you don't have to go far, amen? We see it. But if you put yourself in the context of human history, every single one of you that's sitting in this room, and myself included, we stand in like the top 10th of the top 1% of what we're able to have access to, you know? It takes, it takes years, I think, for our children to realize that water actually comes out of rivers and stuff because the way we live our lives, we're so accustomed, you just turn on a tap, you know? We live very blessed lives when it comes to our material wealth and our riches. And so this text in particular, this teaching in particular is 
It's a difficult one, I think, and it should make us feel a little uncomfortable. But what I wanted to do to really focus in and see what Jesus means and what, he, what it means for us as well, that are sort of the water we swim in, right? The, the culture we live in is filled with material possessions and wealth. What is, what's the crux of Jesus' teaching and what's he really driving at here? Is, it, is this young man to go and become poor for the sake of becoming poor? Is, it, is he supposed to go give away everything just to prove something to God? Isn't that earning your salvation? Isn't that earning your status in front of God? What's the point of this? Because I actually, just to put it right out in front, because I was worried it got buried in last, yes, uh, uh, this morning's sermon, is I don't think God is calling all of us to poverty. I don't think Jesus right here is calling all of us to go out right now and just get rid of everything and become St. Francis, Okay. Instead, what I think Jesus is really getting at, the broader theme of Jesus' teaching here, and one of the reasons it makes it so darn uncomfortable is what Jesus is really questioning this young man on is his conception of what the good really is. What it means, what is, what is this young man's conception of goodness? How does he understand what is good? Because if you notice, um, when we look at Jesus' response to him, we have like sort of three progressions in it, and I want to walk through them kind of. But the very first thing Jesus answers to this young man, the question of all questions, mind you, right? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, that's the question of all questions, right? Um, and, And as good Lutherans and Protestants, we already know he's on bad footing, right? He said, what must I do? So we already know he's kind of getting off on this wonky uh, territory, being Protestants that we are. But notice Jesus' initial response, what he says first. Before he gets to the commandments, before he gets to uh, 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 sell everything. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Like, notice that what Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, why do you call me good? Only God is good. I'm not God, right? He stops, he pauses. The big question, question of questions, why do you call me good? Only God is good. There's something about this young man's concept, how he understands the world that he finds himself situated in and situated with being in front of Jesus. Where Jesus is curious, there's something here that's got him off. And I also think that's that's where the wealth and material and and the riches in our society, that's where we go off the track as well. It's when we get off into a sense of where we define what is good. Where I define what's good, where my, my neighbors define what's good, where my HOA defines what's good, and so I have to keep my house this color and all this stuff. Materialism, right? Um, but what Jesus is more interested in for us and what it means to live in the kingdom, remember, a teaching for the kingdom, is to, to only find what is good from the eyes of God, to use God's conception of goodness. And so, like, what does that mean? What is that? Any, any, any person with, um, for Jesus or for this man, anybody who, any Jew during this time period, uh, anybody with the Old Testament scriptures in their background, has a conception of goodness. Because you don't go very far in the Old Testament before you find goodness. It's on page one. 
And when we get into this concept and we get into discussing what is goodness as Christians, that's where I think we would actually start, is right there in the beginning, in creation. Because there, after, from days one through six, right, what do we hear? After God creates with His Word, it, God saw everything He made and it was good. And what is God really doing in creation? He's ordering all of existence. He's putting things in their proper place. Form is given function, and it's the right way. It's the the way it ought to be. It's righteous. That's what righteousness is to a certain degree. It's it's the way it ought to be, the way in which life should be lived out. And, and, And right there in the beginning, what we're getting is God is ordering. And after He orders and He puts things in its right place, it's said, that's goodness. That's goodness. And the whole picture of what we get in creation is goodness, and it's because what do we see? You know, for us, um, when we think of Genesis 1, I think a lot of Christians, we always think of it being like six days, right? Like a six-day creation, or uh, the sixth day is the big deal to us, because that's when humans were made. We think the whole point of Genesis chapter 1, the, the climax, the crescendo of the whole thing, is that human beings were made in the image of God. Like, thank you. We now, yes, thank you for talking about us. But the reality is, is the, whole cli- the whole point of the seven-day creation is the seventh day. The whole buildup in le- human beings are a part of the creation. They aren't creation in and of itself. We're not the center of the world. The whole creation story, God is putting everything in its right place, and human beings aren't the center of the world. We're not the ones who get to decide goodness. Who is? It's God. It's God. So why do you call me good? Only God is good. And the only way to to, to really understand goodness, I think in Jesus' mindset and for us as Christians with the Old Testament as our background and, and, and kind of being pushed to this New Testament witness here, is to see that to understand the good is, would, would require us to only ever have God first and foremost in our life. To, to, to be able to live the good life would mean that God takes primary center in everything we do. And so when it comes to material and wealth and our possessions, it, it's the same thing. That it's not about our uh, uh, wanting it out of the sake of wanting it, or if I get that thing, then finally, you know, I'll feel better about myself, or I'll, I'll create the image that I'm trying to create of myself. Or if I make X amount of dollars a year, you know, then when I'm out with the guys, I can throw around my bonus check number. That's the most annoying. If you're one of those people, that's annoying, by the way. <laughs> Just going to say, like... <laughs> And I don't think Christians should be doing that, just throwing out salary. Oh, I made 50 grand this Christmas. Like, seriously. But how many of you have been in those conversations before? And it's because for us, like, as my, and this, get back to the uncomfortable piece of this scripture, of this teaching, is that because of the water we swim in, this is totally antithetical to modern America. It just is. Because each and every day of our lives, you wake up, you turn on your screens, you go drive down the freeway, you see the billboards, everywhere you go, you are constantly being taught two things. Consume, 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 earn, earn, earn. Go out, earn your dollar, and then go spend it right away. 
Go buy something. This is the water we swim in. And here Jesus is saying, no, that's not what life is about. But for us, the Amer- what is the American dream other than being able to afford your own crap? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But that's what it is. You know, like this is, this is so, do you see how different this is than the cultural rivers that we swim in? And do you see the challenge in this? And then it gets even worse though, I think, because think, okay, so, so next, so that's goodness. So God, so Jesus begins all about what's this guy's understanding of goodness. Second, it's how's his understanding of other people. Because notice when Jesus, when Jesus says, um, when he says, first he responds, uh, uh, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And then he says, then he tells him what? Uh, uh, follow the law. Follow the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Right? Do not steal. Do not defraud. Don't, don't be a bad person, basically. Because if you notice, there's some commandments that are missing. Jesus only gives him the second table of the commandments, four through, six, four through ten. He leaves out one through three. Because my point is, I think that the first point was covering one through three, but four through six are all the commandments that are dealing specifically with human relationships. Do not steal. Uh, do not covet. Uh, 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 um, honor your father and mother. It's all human relational. One through three is dealing with your relationship with God, right? But Jesus only gives him, it only tells him to follow these. So the next piece is, is how do you relate with other people? And already, already, I think for us, applying it, we're already dealing with like the two greatest motivating factors of modern Americans, right? So we got money and we got other people. How we relate and, and how other people, uh, and how we relate to other people. And for this young man, he finds himself fully in step with the law. Isn't that convenient, right? I followed all of those. I did that. I got that. I've been doing that since my youth. To me, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of us, of us, myself, being one. I grew up in the church. Like, I've been a Christian the whole time. Jesus, what are you talking about? Since my youth, I've been keeping this all intact. And then it, we get to that third one, the big one. Go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And think of, the, in, 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 in instead of really narrowing in, why does Jesus say that? Look at the reactions that occur. You have the man's reaction. He's filled with sorrow and he's disheartened. And he's not the only one that reacts, though. You also have the disciples that react to this teaching. They're astonished. Who else can be saved? Grief and sorrow and astonished. Oh, this fits so perfectly with us. Because to me, when I read this, I feel the grief. Do you, do you get that? Like, does he really want me to give up everything in my life? He wa- like, I have to sell my, I have to sell my, my, uh, my pots and pans. I have to sell my, my clothing. I have to sell, like, everything. Grief. Sorrow. That's how I feel. The disciples have this reaction towards astonishment, which, which, which makes total sense because in this time period, money and, 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 and wealth 
would be, um, it was a sign of a blessing, uh, a sign and blessing from God. Like if you had riches in Jesus' time period, whether Jew or pagan, it was a sign that God, was, God had blessed you. And we still live with that, really. We think that, you know? Until you start going on social media and you see that rich people are just as corrupt and <laughs> immoral as the rest of us. But to a certain degree, we put, we put wealth and people with wealth on this, this pedestal, thinking that they're, and I mean this in a very moral sense, they're better than us. And to wrap all of it up, really, kind of in the end here, is to say that I don't think Jesus is, Jesus in no way is saying, you can't be rich, you can't have money, you can't have possessions. Instead, what I think is happening here is that Jesus has found within this young man the thing that is holding him so fully back from actually living a life in the kingdom right now with Christ. See, because Jesus doesn't call this man to poverty just for the sake of poverty. He actually doesn't even call him to poverty. That's what we think. If you read it, and you read it quickly through, I think we've just been naturally trained to think that this, that this is really what Jesus is saying. But notice, what he says is, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, come follow me. See, Jesus isn't calling this man to poverty. What he's calling this man to is discipleship. Forget your possessions, forget your money, forget everything material about yourself if that is what's getting you in the way from basking in the love of God. Forget all of it if that takes the, the primary focus of how you understand yourself over seeing yourself as a rich, well-off, great person, blah. In God's eyes, you are a child of God. Your riches matter none. See, for me, this text is not saying you can't have things, so you don't have to go home today and go sell everything and go to Goodwill. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, though, just like what we've heard, I think, throughout the whole Gospel of Mark so far that Pastor Garrett, I think, has been leaning more and more into, that whatever those things are that have your heart, those things that are uh, preventing you from following Christ, and not just that, but being able to see the, His glory in your life right now, not just when you die and go to heaven, these are the things that we're called to renounce, give up, and do away with. Because what matters? What is goodness? Where God takes center stage in your life. And, and if you're like me, and you had that, um, you have that sort of sorrowful, disheartened feel when you think, because, uh, let, me, let me, I'll just back up real quick. I see myself very much as this rich young ruler. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Very inherently, inherently it's not wrong to have possessions. It's not inherently a bad thing. But for folks that struggle with possessions and material and wealth, it's our job to do the tough spiritual work in the church with brothers and sisters to take that love and longing and simply renounce it and squash it. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say there? 
And I think the reason that this text is so controversial to some people, because I do think it's controversial to some people, and controversial in our culture, is because at a grand stage, like, our culture very much struggles with this. It's just a part of who we are. And so while I say it's not inherent to owning, to ownership and possessions and money, that it's bad and that you should get rid of it, I'm saying that because you live in 21st century, modern Santa Clarita, you more likely are like this young man than you aren't. If that, does that make sense? Because, as I said in the beginning, and as we've talked, possessions, material, wealth, this is one of the, like, this is one of the main currents in our culture. And I thought about getting all sorts of um, stats to try and prove this to you. Like, look how wealthy we are and you don't, like, without even you really recognizing it, you're so wealthy, but I don't have to, because, like, you just need to literally think about your closets at home. Like, they're overflowing, right? For some of us, at least, mine in particular is, you need clothes, come over. You can just come take it. I had, like, a, it's been two months of an ankle thing, you know? Haven't really been able to be on top of my laundry. Doesn't matter, because... I got an outfit for three months straight, basically. And, and only eight months ago, I got rid of 60%. I, I did it. I counted everything. I said, I'm getting rid of 60% of my closet. Eight months ago. And it's already back to that 60%. I've already got it. You know, we have so much as Americans. We have so much as Santa Claritans. And it's those things that are a danger in our lives, I think. It's those things, it's that, that significance, it's that material that so often it takes our eyes off of Christ, off the cross, and puts it inward towards ourselves and also makes us look out towards others and covet. And ultimately what that does is it destroys our identity in Christ and it prevents us from living in the kingdom. That's why Jesus is state. it just makes sense, like, when your eyes are fixed on the newest iPhone or the newer car or keeping up with the Joneses, it keeps you out of the kingdom if that's your priority. But it's not all bad and there's not fear to have, the sorrow and the disheartened. Because Christ makes a promise in this text. That for as much as material and wealth and all these things get in our way, right? With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God cuts through all of that. Christ's death and his resurrection has cut through all of that. It's why you're here right now. Like, a consumer, this is the last place a consumer actually should be because worship is not about consuming at all. God cuts through all of it. His spirit cuts through all of it. He works on your hearts and your minds. He preaches his word to you. And he brings you together as body, as a body, as brother and sister. Because notice Jesus' promise in this text that when you do forego all of that, when you give up whatever it is that, 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 that has your heart uh, uh, strangled, sort of, when you do, what do you, you receive something. You don't just lose. God doesn't call you to poverty. He calls you to discipleship. And in discipleship, you're called to community. 
And that's why Christ at the end, he looks at Peter and says, everyone who does this, it's not like you're not going to lose. This isn't a loss. What you'll get instead is brother and sister and mother and have house and family because the church is his witness, is living in his image. And as, as God is the good God that stands in the center of creation, providing for his people, the church is his operation, his vehicle of doing that here on earth. And so let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's focus and fix our eyes on Christ. And in that way, we find ourselves taking care of one another. And so that's my prayer for you this, morning, uh, this week and this morning, is that as you go into your busy lives and as you go out and you hear the earn, earn, earn and consume, 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 my prayer is that you find time to, to take a step away from that. To focus more on where does Christ uh, fit as your priority in life. Not because um, that's what gets you into the kingdom of heaven, uh, but because he loves you so stinking much that every time you do that to yourself, every time you let material and wealth get ahead of Christ, what does he do? He looks at you like he looks at the rich young ruler and he loved you and he loves you. And he reminds you that in him you are eternally loved. Uh, in the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen.